Section 66 of Personal Memoirs of U.S. Grant. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Jim Clevenger. Personal Memoirs of U.S. Grant by Ulysses S. Grant. Chapter 66. Battle of Sailor's Creek engagement at farmville correspondence with general lee sheridan intercepts the enemy the appomattox going westward takes a long sweep to the southwest from the neighborhood of the richmond and danville railroad bridge and then trends northwesterly sailor's creek an insignificant stream running northward empties into the appomattox between the high bridge and jettersville near the high bridge the stage road from petersburg to lynchburg crosses the appomattox river also on a bridge the railroad runs on the north side of the river to farmville a few miles west and from there recrossing continues on the south side of it the roads coming up from the southeast to farmville cross the appomattox river there on a bridge and run on the north side leaving the lynchburg and petersburg railroad well to the left lee in pushing out from amelia courthouse availed himself of all the roads between the danville road and appomattox river to move upon and never permitted the head of his columns to stop because of any fighting that might be going on in his rear in this way he came very near succeeding in getting to his provision trains and eluding us with at least part of his army as expected lee's troops had moved during the night before and our army in moving upon amelia courthouse soon encountered them there was a good deal of fighting before sailor's creek was reached our cavalry charged in upon a body of theirs which was escorting a wagon train in order to get it past our left a severe engagement ensued in which we captured many prisoners and many men also were killed and wounded there was as much gallantry displayed by some of the confederates in these little engagements as was displayed at any time during the war notwithstanding the sad defeats of the past week the armies finally met on sailor's creek when a heavy engagement took place in which infantry artillery and cavalry were all brought into action our men on the right as they were brought in against the enemy came in on higher ground and upon his flank giving us every advantage to be derived from the lay of the country our firing was also very much more rapid because the enemy commenced his retreat westward and in firing as he retreated had to turn around every time he fired the enemy's loss was very heavy as well in killed and wounded as in captures some six general officers fell into our hands in this engagement and seven thousand men were made prisoners this engagement was commenced in the middle of the afternoon of the sixth 
and the retreat and pursuit were continued until nightfall when the armies bivouacked upon the ground where the night had overtaken them when the move towards amelia court house had commenced that morning i ordered wright's corps which was on the extreme right to be moved to the left past the whole army to take the place of griffin's and ordered the latter at the same time to move by and place itself on the right the object of this movement was to get the sixth corps rights next to the cavalry with which they had formerly served so harmoniously and so efficiently in the valley of virginia the sixth corps now remained with the cavalry and under sheridan's direct command until after the surrender ord had been directed to take possession of all the roads southward between burksville and the high bridge on the morning of the sixth he sent colonel washburn with two infantry regiments with instructions to destroy high bridge and to return rapidly to burksville station and he prepared himself to resist the enemy there soon after washburn had started ord became a little alarmed as to his safety and sent colonel reed of his staff with about eighty cavalrymen to overtake him and bring him back very shortly after this he heard that the head of lee's column had got up to the road between him and where washburn now was and attempted to send reinforcements but the reinforcements could not get through reed however had got through ahead of the enemy he rode on to farmville and was on his way back again when he found his return cut off and washburn confronting apparently the advance of lee's army reed drew his men up into line of battle his force now consisting of less than six hundred men infantry and cavalry and rode along their front making a speech to his men to inspire them with the same enthusiasm that he himself felt he then gave the order to charge this little band made several charges of course unsuccessful ones but inflicted a loss upon the enemy more than equal to their own entire number colonel reed fell mortally wounded and then washburn and at the close of the conflict nearly every officer of the command and most of the rank and file had been either killed or wounded the remainder then surrendered the confederates took this to be only the advance of a larger column which had headed them off and so stopped to entrench so that this gallant band of six hundred had checked the progress of a strong detachment of the confederate army this stoppage of lee's column no doubt saved to us the trains following lee himself pushed on and crossed the wagon road bridge near the high bridge and attempted to destroy it he did set fire to it but the flames had made but little headway when humphreys came up with his corps and drove away the rear guard which had been left to protect it while it was being burned up humphreys forced his way across with some loss and followed lee to the intersection of the road crossing at farmville with the one from petersburg 
Here, Lee held a position which was very strong, naturally, besides being entrenched. Humphreys was alone, confronting him all through the day and in a very hazardous position. He put on a bold face, however, and assaulted with some loss, but was not assaulted in return. Our cavalry had gone farther south by the way of Prince Edward's courthouse, along with the 5th Corps, Griffin's, Ord falling in between Griffin and the Appomattox. Crook's division of cavalry and Wright's corps pushed on west of Farmville. When the cavalry reached Farmville, they found that some of the Confederates were in ahead of them, and had already got their trains of provisions back to that point. But our troops were in time to prevent them from securing anything to eat, although they succeeded in, again, running the trains off, so that we did not get them for some time. These troops retreated to the north side of the Appomattox to join Lee, and succeeded in destroying the bridge after them. Considerable fighting ensued there between Wright's corps and a portion of our cavalry and the Confederates, but finally the cavalry forded the stream and drove them away. Wright built a footbridge for his men to march over on, and then marched out to the junction of the roads to relieve Humphreys, arriving there that night. I had stopped the night before at Burksville Junction. Our troops were then pretty much all out of the place, but we had a field hospital there, and Ord's command was extended from that point towards Farmville. Here I met Dr. Smith, a Virginian and an officer of the regular army, who told me that in a conversation with General Ewell, one of the prisoners and a relative of his, Ewell had said that when we had got across the James River, he knew their cause was lost, and it was the duty of their authorities to make the best terms they could while they still had a right to claim concessions. The authorities thought differently, however. Now the cause was lost, and they had no right to claim anything. He said further, that for every man that was killed after this in the war, somebody is responsible, and it would be but very little better than murder. He was not sure that Lee would consent to surrender his army without being able to consult with the President, but he hoped he would. I rode into Farmville on the 7th, arriving there early in the day. Sheridan and Ord were pushing through, away to the south. Meade was back towards the high bridge and Humphreys confronting Lee, as before stated. After having gone into bivouac at Prince Edward's courthouse, Sheridan learned that seven trains of provisions and forage were at Appomattox, and determined to start at once and capture them, and a forced march was necessary in order to get there before Lee's army could secure them. He wrote me a note telling me this, this fact, together with the incident related the night before by Dr. Smith, gave me the idea of opening correspondence with General Lee on the subject of the surrender of his army. 
I therefore wrote to him on this day as follows. Headquarters, Armies of the United States, 5 p.m., April 7, 1865. General R. E. Lee, Commanding Confederate States Army. The result of the last week must convince you of the hopelessness of further resistance on the part of the Army of Northern Virginia in this struggle. I feel that it is so and regard it as my duty to shift from myself the responsibility of any further effusion of blood by asking of you the surrender of that portion of the Confederate States Army known as the Army of Northern Virginia. U.S. Grant, Lieutenant General. Lee replied on the evening of the same day as follows. April 7, 1865 general i have received your note of this day though not entertaining the opinion you express on the hopelessness of further resistance on the part of the army of northern virginia i reciprocate your desire to avoid useless effusion of blood and therefore before considering your proposition ask the terms you will offer on condition of its surrender R. E. Lee, General. Lieutenant General U. S. Grant, Commanding Armies of the United States. This was not satisfactory, but I regarded it as deserving another letter and wrote him as follows. April 8, 1865, General R. E. Lee, Commanding Confederate States Army. Your note of last evening in reply to mine of same date asking the condition on which i will accept the surrender of the army of northern virginia is just received in reply i would say that peace being my great desire there is but one condition i would insist upon namely that the men and officers surrendered shall be disqualified for taking up arms again against the government of the united states until properly exchanged i will meet you or will designate officers to meet any officers you may name for the same purpose at any point agreeable to you for the purpose of arranging definitely the terms upon which the surrender of the army of northern virginia will be received u s grant lieutenant general Lee's army was rapidly crumbling. Many of his soldiers had enlisted from that part of the state where they now were, and were continually dropping out of the ranks and going to their homes. I know that I occupied a hotel almost destitute of furniture at Farmville, which had probably been used as a Confederate hospital. The next morning when I came out I found a Confederate colonel there who reported to me and said that he was the proprietor of that house and that he was a colonel of a regiment that had been raised in that neighborhood. He said that when he came along past home he found that he was the only man of the regiment remaining with Lee's army. So he just dropped out and now wanted to surrender himself. I told him to stay there, and he would not be molested. That was one regiment 
which had been eliminated from Lee's force by this crumbling process. Although Sheridan had been marching all day, his troops moved with alacrity and without any straggling. They began to see the end of what they had been fighting for years for. Nothing seemed to fatigue them. They were ready to move without rations and travel without rest until the end. Straggling had entirely ceased, and every man was now a rival for the front. The infantry marched about as rapidly as the cavalry could. Sheridan sent Custer with his division to move south of Appomattox Station, which is about five miles southwest of the courthouse, to get west of the trains and destroy the roads to the rear. They got there the night of the 8th and succeeded partially, but some of the train men had just discovered the movement of our troops and succeeded in running off three of the trains. The other four were held by Custer. The head of Lee's column came marching up there on the morning of the ninth, not dreaming, I suppose, that there were any Union soldiers near. The Confederates were surprised to find our cavalry had possession of the trains. However, they were desperate and at once assaulted, hoping to recover them. In the melee that ensued, they succeeded in burning one of the trains, but not in getting anything from it. Custer then ordered the other trains run back on the road towards Farmville, and the fight continued. So far only our cavalry and the advance of Lee's army were engaged. Soon, however, Lee's men were brought up from the rear, no doubt expecting they had nothing to meet but our cavalry. But our infantry had pushed forward so rapidly that by the time the enemy got up they found Griffin's corps and the army of the James confronting them. A sharp engagement ensued, but Lee quickly set up a white flag. End of section 66 Recording by Jim Clevenger, Little Rock, Arkansas, Jim at J-O-C, C-L-E-V dot com.